I am Jim Collison and live from the Gallup Studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Gallup's Called the Coach, recorded on June 22nd, 2018. Call the Coach is a resource for those who want to help others discover and use their strengths. We have Gallup experts and independent strengths coaches share tactics, insights, and strategies to help coaches maximize the talent of teams and organizations around the world. If you have any questions during this live webcast, we do have a chat room that's available for you right down there, right below the main video window, down there on our live page. If you've never logged into it before, bottom left-hand corner, choose Login. Choose the guest account, take out the name, uh, take out guest and the number, put your name in there so we know how to address you and you can ask us questions during this webcast. If you're listening to the recorded version or have questions about uh, custom strengths coaching solutions, you can send us an email. Just send that to us at coaching at gallup.com or there's a contact form right there on the live page. Don't forget to visit the Gallup Strength Center. Just gallupstrengthcenter.com. For all your Clifton, uh, Clifton Strengths coaching resources and training needs, you can also catch the video in both streaming and downloadable audio for offline listening. We call that podcasting. It's available for you. Uh, all the links to get to it are on our coaches blog. Head over to coaching.gallup.com and click on the resources tab. One more thing. Don't forget, if you're uh, listening on your, on your iPhone, you can rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app if you're listening to us on YouTube. You can subscribe to us right there. That way you get a notification every time we release a new video. And if you're listening to us on Spreaker, you can follow us there for notifications as well. Mike, Mike McDonald is our host today. Mike works as a senior workplace consultant here at Gallup. I've been spending a lot of time, it seems like, with Mike lately on Called the Coach. Mike, welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Thanks. Uh, uh, selfishly, I'm com just completely looking forward to it today. Um, I've been tracking and we've been tracking Father James for a while now. So we, we finally were able to invade his schedule and uh, and bring him on in. So I couldn't be more excited about having him spend time with us today. Yeah, good. Let's get started. Introduce our guest again and let's get to let's get moving. Absolutely. So Father James Mallon is joining us today. Uh, here's here's a little insight, Jim, in, in terms of where I was. Uh, Jim, Father James and I had the chance to spend some time together last fall and uh, we got to go out for dinner and he had been here. Uh, working with some of the, the uh, doing some work with the Omaha Archdiocese and had some of the parishes uh, spend some time with him. And we were out to dinner and uh, Jim, I had a, a celebrity moment. Um, certainly I was not that celebrity, but it was really interesting how many people came up uh, while we were having dinner. And uh, Father James, Father James, today was great. Um, so um, some other Gallup folks and I had were able to bear witness. I don't think he had this set up. I think this was actually a real thing. I don't think it was staged at all. So, um, but what was really cool about it, and what struck me is that that um, in that exchange, it, it revealed Father James' motivation. And I, I talk about it being a celebrity sighting, but he, he's he's not doing it for the celebrity or the status. But it was really redeeming about the legitimate, authentic touch points that he created. With those people the the message that he brought and uh and the meaningfulness behind that message so father james joins us uh from halifax nova scotia uh he has a, a very broad role um within the diocese there but locally with saint benedict's as well um and has been a i would say uh one of the most predominant practitioners of strengths and engagement um, that we have on record and has taken that application in really smart ways uh, throughout the Catholic Church. And I think regardless of the Catholic Church for organizations uh, of all kinds, there's a lot of messages and insight that he'll bring for us today. So Father James, it is terrific to have you here. Terrific Mike, to have you here. It's great to be with you and to, and to be with everyone else watching. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you're no stranger to podcasts and, and broad forms of, of communication. And so uh, I'd love to, to bring all of your insight and, and advice and, and best practice uh, features to bear. So I, what we're interested in, I think, today and where we have an opportunity from your perspective is that, that organizational level preview. Where have you seen uh, strengths, engagement performance um, really roll up and transform a culture? Um, even beyond a church level, but into the diocese level um, and globally as well. One of the things that you all should know is that Father James um, leads a, a, a movement, we'll call it, um, around divine renovation um, that was driven from a, a best-selling book that he's the author of, Divine Renovation, and has now um, grown to be a, a, a world-influencing and impact conference that happens once a year. And I'd love to have us spend some time towards the end of our conversation today, really referencing that. But what are, but if we take us back to ground zero, Father, where where did your first interaction with, with strengths or engagement strike a chord in you? And what was it about that that struck such a chord where you could no longer move forward without really um, aggressively acting on that? What was it about strengths specifically? I think I was, I was first introduced to StrengthsFinder and the all the 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 paradigm around around uh, the ME twenty five and and such about fourteen years ago. And to be honest, when I first saw it, uh, I, I was very skeptical. I thought, ah, this is some kind of corporate American money grab. And I I looked at it and I was a little skeptical. I just I, I just I was a little you know more arrogant perhaps then than I am now in thinking you know. I know how to do this. I know instinctively how to do this. I don't need this kind of stuff. And I was quite dismissive. Um, uh, and, and it was a whole two years later that uh, one, of my, one of my team members who has, she was a parishioner at the time in this church I was in. She is now my personal assistant and she's been working with me now for 10 years. She really insisted uh, that I read the book Growing an Engaged Church. She told me about this book she was reading and as I read the book, the, the, the first line in, Al, in Al's book uh, just kind of rocked my world because it confirmed all of my learnings. Like, uh, you know, that, that, that really what we're talking about is, is organ the key to unlock a fruit in your organizational health. It's, it's a question of the soil, not about the branches. And I had realized that in much of my ministry, I had been massaging and preaching to the branches about how wonderful it is to bear fruit and trying to get the branches to bear fruit. And all of the things that I was convinced would make the difference had not made the difference I thought they would. And that's when, it, when his words around organizational strength, I think he, his first words were the church is a heart attack waiting to happen. It just struck, it bowled me over. And the point was two years before I wasn't ready to receive this. And in reading his book, it just opened up a whole curiosity. And after reading Growing an Engaged Church, I, I, uh, I did StrengthsFinder. And so that was about 12 years ago. And I have to say, it's been, it's been an utter game changer in my own life. Uh, and I, there's so much I could say about, about why that is. But basically, there was no going back. And since that time in my own leadership, uh, relying on strengths and, and, and looking at leadership through that lens, has changed everything and is very central in the transformation we saw at my parish when I was pastor and very central to what we're doing now at the diocesan level and indeed globally with the Divine Renovation Ministry. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's terrific. So help us know more about you. So you took StrengthsFinder. I think we should. Uh, I think we should all uh, know exactly uh, what lens you're seeing the world through and how you're uh, operating uh, from a strengths perspective as you tell the rest of your story and, and and respond to some of our ongoing conversations. So what are your top five, Father? Well, I, I have to begin by saying that I probably, at least I perceived that I had the, I was I had the most embarrassing strengths ever, <laughs> the very very unChristian strengths and. There was nothing, actually it was quite horrifying to, to have these put before me because I had considered, none of these were a surprise to me, but I considered them character defects. I had spent so much of my energy suppressing these characteristics of my personality. Uh, and now I'm being told it's my, it's my, it's my, you know, my, my, my raw talent. And if I, if I, you know, grow in knowledge and lean into them and practice that I, I can develop this into a strength that God can use. Um, that took a lot to get used to. And so at first I was very embarrassed. I didn't exactly wear the name tag, right? I kind of kept it hidden. So my top five are competition, achiever, activator, and command. Those are my top four. So I'm competitive, ambitious, impatient, and bossy. Um, I always knew that about myself and I, I didn't like that about myself. I, I spent a lot of time in the sacrament of confession, confessing sins around, around these strengths, right? So, and then my, my fifth one is connectedness, which again was no surprise to me because I've always known that I, I love connecting people with people uh, with whom on the surface level, you might think I would have nothing in common. I, I just love finding commonalities there. Now, I, I later found out that between my, my number six strength and number 13 strength, I have six strategic strengths. Mm -hmm. So, but basically between one and 13, I have one relational strength. I'll say more about that in a little bit. But why did I struggle so much with these top fives? And this, this was a huge breakthrough, you know, because you know, I remember someone when they found out my number one was competition, I got the, oh, that explains it. Uh, it was it was very judgmental. I was like, but yeah, I've always known I'm, I'm competitive, but I know myself that the, the primary person I compete with is myself. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not so much the desire to win as it is when I see people who are better at stuff than I am, it gets me so excited and inspires me so much. And when I'm around people who are, that, that if I'm better at it than them, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't get inspired. So but that took a little while to, to, to own, I have to say, to really own that. And so that was a tough one, competition, the first one. Achiever, I, I suppose that's, uh, I, was okay, I was more okay with that one because I've always known that I've, I was a hard worker, I was gonna do what it took. Activator was an interesting one because in my ministry, I was always someone who started things. I saw you know, I, I, a gap, a lack of something. And if I looked around and there was, there was nothing that I liked, I would start it myself. I just do it. And I've always been a, a ready fire aim person. Like, let, let's just get going. Let's, let's, we'll figure it out as we go along. But the place it manifested uh, the most to me in my ministry was the restlessness that I would experience around year five in a church. Mm. So I typically go into a church and through God's grace and, and different things, be able to see change and begin to turn turn things around. And I'd see uh, the thing build up momentum and transformation begin to happen. But as soon as we got in a zone where things started really going well, I'd be like, hmm, I'm kind of bored now. 
And and I was always I always felt that that was a a terrible thing in me. I I felt like that was like shame on me. Like I you know that I should be able to go to the next level. Uh, in 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 once I got something to a good place to bring it to the better place. But I'd feel this inner restlessness and, and a desire to go in and start over again. And time and time again, I said, I've got to fight against that instinct. I've got to fight against it. I've got to fight against it. Command, it was, that's a very embarrassing strength to have because I can't tell you how many meetings I've gone into saying, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. Um, you know, <laughs> you get into a small group, you're not going to take charge. You're not going to take charge. Of course, five seconds go by and no one's taking charge. So I've got to take charge. And it's like, oh, here I go again. And, and so, and that's been difficult because sometimes people can judge you with that one. Oh, this guy's arrogant and he's this and he's that. And well, there might be some degree of truth to that, I suppose. But I guess what I'm saying is that I truly saw these strengths as, as defects. I will say this. Now, we know that every strength has its shadow side to it. Um, but when I began to understand and accept these strengths, when I began to say, okay, Lord, this is how you've made me. Like, this is for whether it's genetic or developmental, like, th this is my path of least resistance. And I can stop worrying about the things I'm not so good at and actually lean into these things. Now I'm going to say a bit more about that, mm. about the, the conditions under which you can, you can do that, that will make it work. But I have to say, since that turnaround in my life over the last 10 years, when I really started leaning into them, the impact of my ministry and my leadership has, in one sense, disproportionately exploded mm -hmm. to the point beyond that, which I never would have imagined. Uh, now, I want to... You know, I'll leave it to Michael to ask a question, but there is a couple of uh, vital things that if you're going to lean into your strengths, and many of you listening, you, you know this already, but if you're going to lean in, especially strengths like these ones, you know, competition, achiever, activator, command, like there's a couple of things you've got to get right or you're going to destroy yourself and destroy mm -hmm. the organization you're leading. No, that's, Father James, thanks for taking us into that. That was a very transparent uh, dive into you and I think it released a lot of just perspective for for all of us particularly from that leadership um, that leadership lens and I'm, I'm really interested then in as as you make those discoveries within yourself right so you've got motivation rising up within you you've got uh, a, a dream and a vision that's starting to to awaken with uh, within you how did how did you translate what you were experiencing then um, to connect to the leaders within the diocese. Let's take it on into an entry point. Where then were you able to position this as something with credibility that while they might appreciate your story individually and say, hey, uh, Father James, that's great that that works for you, but what you're proposing is much it, it is much more broad. It involves people uh, beyond you. It's it, it's it's a bigger decision. And, and so while we're excited for you, uh, there's a lot more at stake in our consideration. Yeah. Of that well, investment. How, how did you make that effectively? Yeah, Mike, what, what's a great position? If I, can, if I can, if I can actually go to an intermediate point that I think is very, very important because I think ultimately our credibility at the broader level is, is, is going to be rooted in fruitfulness, really. And, mm -hmm. and you, I found out the hard way that, that going around offering people unsolicited advice is not a good strategy. Uh, generally, is not well received. Um, and so 
you know, scripture says, always have your answer ready for those who ask the reason for your hope. And I, I think the call is to, is to manifest fruit. And when, when, when this fruit is visible and people come and ask, then, then you can share. So, this, but before I could get from acknowledging and leaning into my to actually bearing fruit, there was a couple of hard, hard lessons I had to learn because I discovered that simply leaning into my strengths and in, in, in in foregoing concern about my weaknesses uh, would ultimately, it could be quite destructive uh, for myself personally because my drive is so strong. I would, I, my tendency by myself is to drive things faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, take on more and more and more until I literally almost burn out and I burn out everyone around me. And, and, and another thing too is that I realized that by leaning into these strengths, Man, I started being able to achieve things. I never like it was like unbelievable. Like I, I'd achieve goals and I could and I'd reach my goal and I'd turn around to celebrate and there'd be bodies all over the ground. I'd be thinking, well, what happened? And they're like, you happened. And I realized <laughs> that in ex in leaning into my strengths, like I actually hurt people mm. without real obviously not, definitely not intentionally, but I didn't even know I did it. I'll, I'll tell you guys a, a, a really funny story. I had hired in my church before this last one, I hired a, a full-time administrator uh, lady to come and be the parish administrator and to take over all ad administrative aspects of the church. So I could be, you know, unleashed into my, into my strengths. And I was so excited to, to, to bring her on. Her name was Joy. And she had previous background doing this in a church and uh, she was very competent. And she started on Tuesday because it was a holiday weekend. And I, I welcomed her on Tuesday. I saw her on Wednesday. Thursday was my day off. And on Friday, I came into the office and there was a letter of resignation on my desk. Mm. I couldn't believe it. And I went into her office and said, Joy, what, what, I don't understand what happened. And she said, I can't, I can't work for you. I said, I, I was so shocked. I said, How, what do you mean? I don't understand. She said, I can't work for you. I don't like the way you treat people. And I was, I was shocked. I, didn't, I honestly didn't know what she was talking about. And she had the audacity to suggest that I needed to, to take leadership training. Mm. And she handed me a brochure and I thought, I can't believe it. I've hired the wrong person. <laughs> so but it, was, it was the beginning of learning this, that there is no such thing as a well-rounded person. And we say mm. that in Gallup, right? In StrengthsFinder. Mm. That's the whole point of, of identifying strengths. The myth of being well-rounded, it needs to be, we need to slay that myth. We need to slay the beast mm. because there is no such thing as a well-rounded person, but there, is a, there can be a well-rounded team. And what I and here's the thing: if you're going to lean into your strengths to allow God to use you, you've got to bring people around you for your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And it was only at that point that the fruitfulness in a sustainable way, in a healthy way, began to emerge. And that was a painful lesson for for me to learn. And I want to say just two things about that. You know, my my bottom three people laugh at this are includer, consistency, and harmony. Harmony is my number 34. Consistency is 30. Includer is, is 32. Um, so you can imagine how I can pile up the body count. You know, the body count can be quite high under my, under my leadership. And I learned quite early on that I need people who will hold me accountable, who will stand up to me and smack me upside the head when I'm being an idiot. Because, what, because when my, in the exercise of my leadership, I'm hurting people and I don't even know I'm doing it. The, the person who introduced me to Finder, you know, 
in her top five are include her consistency and harmony. And, and that's why she's been such a, such a help to me. So that was a, a, key, a key realization is that if, I, if I'm going to see fruit from my leadership leading into strengths, I need to have a team around me who, can, who, who I can also lean into them and rely on them. And I've got to learn a different way of leading. I've got to learn the difference between leading a team and leading out of a team. Yeah. Because if you only if you lead out of a team can you lead out of your strengths because you're also relying on those around mm-hmm. you. And so we found StrengthsFinder to be an amazing tool to unleash the leadership capacity of individual leaders for their self-understandings to really lean into this. And we, we actually have used it a lot at the parish and in my other ministries now, especially with Divine Renovation Ministry, in building teams. That's been so critical building teams and building balanced teams. Yeah. So that's a prelude to your, your question. Yeah, that's, that's just great. I, and I just, I, I, I love, um, again, just you telling your own testimony, right? Here's where I struggled. Here's where I discovered. Here's where I succeeded. And I, and I really appreciate just the, the priority that you bring to the conversation around. And we see it, it, it just, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. But literally around the world, when you look at um, the pastor priest burnout rates, they are, tragic uh, and at crisis levels. And uh, what, what really connects to me is just the way you are fighting on behalf of those leaders and what they have available to them as they build a strong team around them that positions them so that from a strengths perspective, they're positioned, to, you are positioned to do what you do best as a leader. But that team is brought in in a way that we can prevent um, uh, we can prevent that burnout and create a sustainable future for for the right people, for those great leaders that have all those great intentions, but now they don't have to do everything um, on their own power or in in unintended destructive ways. I think one of the key questions that we always hear from so many is um, how do you how do you as a leader bring others along with you, right? And I think sometimes it's do you bring others along with you? It's a yes no question. And then the follow up is do how do you? And when you tie that into engagement, we really are looking at a, at a rather voluntary um, choice, right? It's voluntary discretionary. I can follow you. That's right. Or not. And I think when we get into um, faith, really faith or the marketplace, either one is, is there's voluntary discretionary effort, depending on how much opportunity we have to visibly well, display it. My, no, point to that, my point to that is, though, is, is yes, Father James, um, are you creating an engaging enough environment for your team through the efforts you described in a way that, because um, you can browbeat me and threaten me to get from point A to point B with you. I think the real art of leadership is what I volunteer to actually go from point B to C with you. And I think that's so succinctly and so well as you put that um, in your early description. So I see you want to react to that, people, please. People can give you, the, people can give you their, their time, but they, they, they can't give you their heart. That's always a free thing, even in a work environment that's a free thing. And, and people give you their heart if they know that you're prepared to give, give your heart to them. Uh, and, and so now that's expressed in a unique way in a, in a church environment because it is uniquely voluntary. It's, it's a voluntary organization. Um, and so it's a, it's a real challenge in, in, in leadership. And that's what makes it distinct from the regular work environment. The voluntary nature, although in a sense all associations are voluntary to some degree, but the other thing is the spiritual dimension and there are particular challenges around the spiritual dimension. So for instance, if I have a staff team that I'm working with, I'm, I'm their boss, but I'm also their spiritual leader. 
And that makes team dynamics particularly challenging, especially if you come from like uh, a culture like the, in, in the Catholic Church where, you know, in the past, the, the priest basically was a benign dictator and, and supposedly knew everything. And maybe at some point he pretty much knew what to do because culture was fairly aligned with, with, with church. But today we're in a very different world. And a lot of priests are running around pretending that they know what to do. And, and meanwhile, we're, we're terrified. And yet we still a culture that no one wants to um, challenge the priest or, or uh, because one of the number one leadership challenges right now is the difference between intent and impact. That's what we see. That's what I had to learn. I, I never intended to hurt people, but I hurt people all the time. And that's only people around you can help you to see that. Only people who have strengths that you don't have will help you to see that. For instance, one of the things I had, I had no clue because we often, we see the world through our own eyes and we presume that, that the things I do naturally and easily, I presume everyone does those naturally and easily because that's just the way it is. And so I never understood the degree of influence that I had because three of my top five are, are in influencing. And once people were engaged and the, the thing was moving and I had amazing people and parishioners and I'd think an idea out loud and two days later it's done. And I'd get into trouble from my leadership team because they're like, did you tell so-and-so to do this? I'm like, no. It's like, well, because we were trying to shut things down because we had too much going on. And, and I, had to, <laughs> I had to really be held accountable for, for when I would meet with key people and what I would say because I didn't understand my impact. Mm. Uh, and it's the same with my activator theme is that my, the line that would always get me in trouble in a leadership team was, well, that won't be that much work. Let's just do it and we'll figure it out as we go along. And of course, all of the systems executing people on our team, would they were the victims of my activatorness, you know, because I'm, I'm starting things up and they're the ones who are left to try to, to, to deal with it. So I was blind to that. I really was. And so growing is into that as well is, is a key thing. So, yeah, sorry, I kind of took it off, off, no, uh, off course there for a second. No, that's great. Let me, so let, take us to the, uh, t take us, I, I think you have such expertise and insight that I think uh, a really valuable um, uh, perspective that you would bring for us right now is, is take us to uh, adoption um, of, of strengths engagement into, let's, let's think about it at the, at the diocese level. Okay, before we even get into something even more global in what you've done with divine um, renovation, think about the diocese level. If, 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 if you were to, based on what you know, to bring this in at that level in a convincing, credible fashion, what would that look like? What would your advice be? And then um, after, you've, after you've answered that, take us to the other side of the spectrum where what does long-term sustainability look like in your perspective and what would your advice be? So introduction and sustainability if you can if you could touch on those two points i think you have uh such such profound um again influence in, in terms of your own journey and where you've succeeded in both of those areas I, I think there are several biases we need to overcome again in a in a spiritual organization if you're going to go to the, the at the broader level because there's a certain amount of independence or autonomy that a pastor has uh to do things within a parish and that's fine you can do whatever you you do and in one of the first hires I made at St. Benedict Parish was to was to hire uh, an engagement, a director of engagement, and we sent her down to Washington and had her trained as a, as a strength coach. And we we started bringing in the language of Strengths Finder, and we used it to build teams and the the, the four 
different, you know, executing, influencing, relational, and, and strategic. We started doing our parishioners. We brought it into our marriage prep program. Uh, we had a, a high number of, of parishioners who were doing it. We started doing the ME to 25. Uh, so people around us, around our parish, knew that we were doing these things. And then I wrote the book, which had a significant section on, on StrengthsFinder. And, and granted, there are different tools you can use to look at your strengths and, and out there. But I found that with the, the themes of talent and the top five, it's much more fluid and much more easier to work with in terms of building teams. Mm. So when it came to the diocese, when I was invited to have this role, and I'm 50 percent my my title is a silly title. I don't care about titles, but it's it's but my responsibility is leadership development, leadership support and parish renewal. So my job is to support the leadership of the pastors and lay leaders who want to work for the renewal of their parishes. And by renewal, I mean moving from what I call maintenance to mission. So from an inward focus kind of club mentality to a, a church with a mission. We got a mission. We've got a job to do, and we've got to be outward focused. And so uh, I'm, I know that out of the gate that I'm, I'm not going to waste, sorry, it sounds harsh. I'm not going to waste my time working with everyone. There's my, there's my includer number 32 theme coming out. Uh, and I don't mind not treating everyone the same, consistency number 33. And if it makes people mad, I don't care. Harmony number 34, right? So I'm going to look at, you know, I know that 2.5% of people are, in, are innovators. 13.5 generally are early adopters. Mm. That's 16%. That's who I'm looking for. Who are the 16% of pastors and lay leaders who are actually open to this? If I invest in them, it's similar to the, the engagement principle. You, you, you don't waste time on the actively disengaged. I mean, the Lord himself could come down and they'd still write letters to the bishop. You know, they, they still complain. So focus on the engaged or focus on your 16% and they bring the others with them. So what I've been doing is really going out into the field, I, I, I decided like a basic biblical principle. If you think about the parable of the sower, uh, the first characteristic of that story is that the sower threw the seed everywhere. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy, actually. I mean, what a waste. He threw seed on the path. It doesn't make any sense. It's, he threw seed on the rocks and the, on the, on the, and the weeds. I think the principle is you, 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 you cast out everywhere to see what happens. The goal then is, is to see where is the good soil because it's the good soil that produces the 30, 50, and 100-fold. So that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm meeting with everyone first, and then I'm seeing where, where is their openness, trying to, trying to evaluate openness and capacity. You know, there's, if you think about the, the four possibilities in a quadrant, high capacity, high openness, uh, low capacity, high openness, low openness, low capacity, etc. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think openness is more important than capacity, because if you're high capacity and not open, you can't do anything. But if you're lower capacity and open, and you're open to working with the team, we can help you. You know, if you're humble enough, we we can actually help you. Uh, so I'm looking f first thing. I'm looking for that. And my, my first meeting with with pastors was really to listen. To say, you know, what do you love to do? What's life-giving your ministry? And what's what's not so life-giving? And and tell me a little bit about your dream. If anything was possible in five years, what would it look like? And we have conversations like that. And I've asked the priests, because many of our priests have actually done StrengthsFinder at some point. I said, do you know your top five? About a third of the priests haven't done it. A third knew what their top five were. One third did it, but would have to dig it out somewhere. 
And so I've started to book a second follow-up uh, appointment with some of the pastors. And the conversations I'm going to have then are around, you know, uh, an initial conversation around their, their, their top five themes about what surprised you, what, what did you identify with the most. And what we would like to do is we go through a restructuring process in our diocese because we're, we're actually restructuring. It's very radical from 65 parishes and 25 missions. We're going down to 18 parishes and all of the leadership is going to be team based. And we're going to really differentiate the role of the, of the pastor leader uh, who works with a team of people because most of our pastors are by themselves. So this is very radical. This is very different. And we're committing ourselves to a whole ongoing process of support, which is going to involve strengths finders, which is going to involve helping these leaders identify their own strengths. And it's going to involve using strengths finders to help them build balanced teams, balanced leadership teams, to help them build uh, strategically weighted pastoral councils who develop strategic plans it, it, and, and such. So it's a gradual thing because one of the things we have to overcome in a spiritual environment is this false understanding that you don't need this human stuff. You just need to be more spiritual. Mm. And I, I like to say, how's that working for us? <laughs> and the truth is that it was St. Thomas Aquinas who actually famously said, grace builds on nature. Grace mm. builds on nature. Mm. It's not a question of grace and nature. The work of grace being the work of God, the action of God, grace and nature is grace builds on nature. So if your human foundation is dysfunctional, guess what? doesn't matter how spiritual you are. You're still going to be messed up. Mm -hmm. So we need to, we need to uh, do both. We, we, we must work on that human foundation. Uh, we must make work towards organizational health. And when you have organizational health, God is going to be able to work in, a, in the most powerful of ways. Yeah, that's fantastic. Father, would you take us back through? I know um, uh, that the point, the reference you made about uh, capacity and openness, I think that's I think that's something to as a framework that maybe if you could take us back through that, um, just a little more detail or, or a specific application. That's a that's a point that we should probably all have in our coaching toolbox as, as we walk away. Can you take us back through that again? Well, I think the sad reality is we look at, you know, our organizations, whether they're churches or whatever kind of organization. <laughs> I mean, when you're as the strengths coach, you know that one of the things you have miss one misunderstanding you have to overcome is the definition of engagement. That especially in the church world, an engaged parishioner is someone who's involved. No, we, you can have ministry leaders, you can have people at the ministry level who are who are very involved but actively disengaged. And 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 so, uh, that's 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 a key that that that's a key distinction. Um, I'm sorry, Michael, my brain, I just had a brain drop, a yeah. frame drop there. What was your question again? You, you brought up this great reference about a yeah, framework yeah, of yeah, capacity. Yes, yes, yes. I think yes. that's an important one yeah. for us to think about in our coaching, so, so I'd love to hear. The that. truth is that among our pastors, we have actively disengaged pastors. We have unengaged pastors. And some of these guys are guys with, with great capacity, with great giftedness, very intelligent, very capable guys. Why are they disengaged? Well, that brings us to the use of the Q12, which we used in our diocese because with a lot of the changes and the, and the, the struggle in leadership of, of my own bishop, and he would admit, you know, as much as priests don't have training in leadership, bishops have less training. And because of the general decline, there were many contributors to the low engagement levels of our priests. And so we've come a long way. We used the Q12 about a year and a half ago 
we had uh, an overnight session to unpack it and begin to talk about what health looked like. It was a listening session. Already a lot of things have changed and we're going to do the Q12 again. But the truth is in the end of the day, if for, if for whatever reason you have actively disengaged or unengaged pastors, is it, you've got to make a decision at some point. Is it worthwhile really investing? even if they're high capacity people. Mm -hmm. So obviously the, the, the ideal is, is uh, you know, if, if you look at, if you think of four quadrants, mm -hmm. so uh, if this is, if this is uh, ability or engagement, or sorry, uh, openness, openness, right? And yep. engagement, you, the goal is, is high engagement, high ability and, and high ability. Uh, that, that's your ideal. Uh, but your second option, your choice is, do I go with a high-capacity, uh, less-engaged person or a highly-engaged, lower-capacity person? I would say that engagement wins out every time because yeah. you've got the heart. And you can build, if the person is humble and willing to learn, you can build a team with them. You can actually do more. And so often in organizations, we, we spend a lot of time, sadly, and we waste time trying to, to, to coax uh, actively disengaged, cynical, bitter leaders who in many ways have quit and stayed. And uh, that's pretty sad. So I think like anything, you, let's, let's work with the people who have that openness and let the fruit speak for itself and love these guys. Let's, let's not, you know, <laughs> I, I think of the, the older brother type in the parable of the prodigal son, but it strikes me about the, the, the father in the story is that he also has a heart for the older, the cynical older brother. He loves the older brother. He doesn't dismiss him, but he doesn't, he doesn't stop the party. You know, he, he doesn't stop the party. So we need to have a heart for these folks, but don't waste too much energy. Let the fruit speak for itself, and hopefully some of them will be won over. Yeah, no, that's terrific. Uh, I'm going I'm to steal that phrase. They, 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 they quit, but they stayed. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a great, that's a great bumper sticker. It's a great slogan to really capture what that looks like. So, um, no, I, that, that's again, tr tremendous insight and depth on, on your response there. And I think, uh, that really helps us understand the emotional aspect, right. Of engagement and, and regardless of how talented we are, um, if we're not right emotionally, then, then nothing's going to happen on the other side. So all that potential just sits there. And so I love the conversion, right? In what you described about the potential that somebody has, but engagement helps that conversion really come through to performance, meaningful performance that improves others and the outcomes that, that, that matter, right? So, so I think that was a beautiful way that you tied thing, that together. As I reflect on, on the, the paradigm of, of, of engagement and how engagement leads to, to spiritual, um, to, to, to commitment and, and then to outcomes, I think that that's such an incredible paradigm for, for, for a missionary church today, for the life of the church, and indeed the life of any organization that has a sense of mission, uh, which hopefully should be all. But, and I think, too, in many ways, it, it really reflects the, the, the ministry of Jesus himself and how he went about it. And I think it's a, a model that is particularly suited to a postmodern world in the church and outside of the church. Because here's the thing. Uh, the, the concept of engagement is really about a meta-narrative, isn't it? It's about, mm. do, do you see yourself as part of something bigger, as something, some kind of great adventure that has a purpose beyond yourself? And the truth is that we're in a very highly individualized and individualistic culture where there is no meta-narrative. I, I, the narrative is me. I write the narrative. It begins and ends with me. And, and that's the world we live in today. And... Um, 
So how do we move people from their own micro narratives to this, to this meta net narrative? And I think this is something that all employers uh, will struggle with. And that's essentially what engagement is. But if you think about it, in, engagement, like, there's another way of looking at it, and that's the, 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 the belong, believe, behave narrative or, or process, which mirrors the, the, the understanding of engagement. We have used in many of my parish in the past the, the alpha uh, course is a tool for reaching out to people outside of the church and really transforming church. And in many ways, I would say that two of the biggest tools over the years that we've used have been Alpha and, and Gallup tools. Mm. The irony is that George Gallup Jr. was a great fan of Alpha. Uh, I think he, I'd like to say he recognized the same in principles because Alpha works on a belong, believe, behave mm. paradigm, which is the exact opposite of what we used to do. If you think about it, we were fairly uh, you know, we had very strong social values in the past and we began with behavior. And, and if you behave properly, if you believe the right things, we would let you belong. And if we're going to reach a postmodern world and, and, and bring people in, we've got to flip that around, begin with belonging, which leads to believing, which leads to behaving. Belonging is like engagement. Engagement is a sense of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the team. I, and not only that, I love this. Like I, I feel loved, I feel supported, I'm not judged, I'm cared for. Uh, that's all the language of engagement, which leads to a change of spiritual commitment. That's, that's like belief. I begin to change my, my worldview. Then behaviors change. Then you start getting your outcomes. And, and I think this is exactly what the engagement model of organizational health tells us. It's what our experience in Alpha tells us as well. And it's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't meet people and begin with their behavior. He met people, he met people, he loved them, he accepted them, he, he didn't judge them. And in that experience of relationship and becoming engaged, they began to change their worldview. And then they changed their behavior. It's not that behavior doesn't matter, but it, it came last. Yeah. And I think that's such a profound insight uh, and, and it's going to be key for, for any organization because if you want engaged employees uh, who are getting behind the mission, you want them to be part of a bigger narrative. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Father, you've given the, the, everybody so much to think about. I think um, maybe we should pause and, and take, a, take a listen in on the chat room. Jim, do we have anything happening yeah, there? Megan out in the chat room has been asking some questions. Early on, she talked, you know, we at Gallup have been talking a lot about performance management. Father James, when we think about performance management at the mm -hmm. church level, whether it's the priest or the pastor, whether it's the councils or the congregation, are you thinking in, in, in your model, in your framework, how do you think about that idea of performance management or performance management? How's it being measured? Hmm. Besides, we, we heard from the Q12. Are there other elements you're adding in as well? Yeah. So at the parish level, we would really, you know, the shift of, of moving getting a healthy organizational structure, you know, that was a challenge to me once our staff began to grow to once it got to about 12 people and, and I had to be structured almost like to a mid-management level. So I had basically four people who reported to me and they had five people, staff who reported to them. And then each staff member had ministry leaders who reported to them. And right away we were confronted by this language of reports. And and we began to be very intentional about changing that language. So we, we at the parish level and also in our coaching network, we actually uh, react quite heavily to the language of reports because that's, that's a very top-down 
vocabulary. We talk about the number of supports you have. Mm. Supports. Mm. How many supports do you have? Uh, in one sense, uh, the one explicit thing Jesus said about leadership was the children of this world, that those who are leaders lorded over them. He said, this is, it must not be so among you. Here's the irony. He said, it must not be so among you. And if you look at the history of the church, what have we done? We've mirrored the, the, a worldly model of leadership of top-down authority. I'm your boss. I'm going to hold you accountable. You're going to report to me. And Gallup itself, is. you guys have done so much work in showing, ultimately, that uh, a coaching model of leadership is so much more effective than a managerial model of leadership. And, and so it's not that in a supporting model that you can't set goals and have outcomes and, and have benchmarks. Uh, of course you can, and that's exactly what, what we did. So we would have in, in our ministry year, uh, say, for instance, our pastoral, lead, our, our pastoral team, uh, we, had, we had four staff teams in each one of those, the, the, the leaders of that team were supported by me. So I supported four, four people. I would meet them with them once a week in a, in a leadership team. I would meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, a couple, couple of times a year, I would do, to use the Gallup coaching guide in terms of strengths to, to coach them. And then they themselves would have that same supporting coaching relationship to everyone in their team. And we would coach them, those staff, to have that kind of relationship with the ministry leaders, the volunteers who are in their teams to try to cascade this culture of, of, of leadership. And in terms of setting goals, uh, we would say at the beginning of every ministry season, what are your what are your three top goals, and and how are you gonna how are you gonna know you've you've reached them, and how can I support you in that? And when they would have their weekly or bi-weekly bi meetings with with staff team or with the person supporting them, that would be the conversation. But here's the difference: if you if you define the relationship as a supporting one, and you're not reaching goals, then the presumption isn't that the the employee or the staff member is failing. The starting presumption is, is that the, the leadership is failing. I think that's a fair presumption to start with. Now, then you begin to explore and, and uh, you may in some instances conclude that the, the way that the leadership will stop failing this person is to help this person find a new job in the organization or perhaps outside of the organization. Uh, because we want people to be ministering and serving out of their strengths. And we've all been in a situation where you've seen people who are failing and they know they're failing. And, and man, it's, 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 it's painful. And the, no matter how much of a brave face the person puts on, they're not being set up for success. And that's on us. That's really on us. And so if we've got uh, members of our team who are not meeting targets, not, not performing well, uh, and over time after investing in them, it's still not the case, then we've got to help them to, to move into a, a different position. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of the things that we did, which in the world of the church was a bit, a bit foreign because, you know, one of the reasons why leadership is often so poorly done in, in the church is because we're supposed to be nice. You get employees who don't have the talents or the strengths for, for their ministry role, are not perhaps doing a good job, and, well, we feel sorry for them, and... I'm not kidding you. In my work in coaching pastors, when they talk to me sometimes about, about problem staff members, do you know what they're about 40% of the time, the, do you know what the strategy is for replacing problematic staffing members or volunteers? It's to do their funerals. 
in the course of nature, not to hasten the funeral, the, the, the date of the funeral. It's literally total avoidance. I'm gonna yeah. I'm I'm not gonna deal with it because we we're the church and we don't we don't fire people or we don't fire staff, we don't fire volunteers. So anyway, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, it, 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 that's interesting too. She has a follow-up question and we don't follow we don't fire volunteers is difficult. She asked mm-hmm. this. So many pastors I know are overseen by volunteer teams like councils. How do you keep the engagement accountability consistent with those volunteer teams, right? Because sometimes we're not talking the problem doesn't rest in the pastoral staff. It's got a, you know, there's a cancer inside the volunteer organization. And yes. how do you guys approach that? And this is with such, again, that, that key insight from growing an engaged church around, around the, the, the healthy soil. So one of the first things we did with our director of engagement uh, who I mentioned, who did the the strength finding, and, and Ron Huntley, he was he was the, the supporting person for our pastoral team. He also did uh, strength training as well. Is we eventually at that point in our church, we had sixty or seventy ministries. Most of the ministries were unsupported. Leadership was voluntary; people just volunteered to be leaders. And over the course of six, seven years, we were able to move the parish to a place where there is not one single leadership position that where people volunteer. No, leaders are not, there's no such thing as a volunteer leader. We identify and call forth and equip people to lead. No one just steps in because that's where you get all kinds of of problems. So we started meeting with the leaders of every ministry and and the person that they were apprenticing. Uh, And one of the first, at first people would come in and depending on their engagement level. Some were very excited to be to come and, and meet the, t- the staff team. Some parish leaders who were against, they were what I call the loyal opposition to what we were doing, usually came in with great suspicion. You know, what do you what do you want to see me for? We just we just want to be left alone. And we operated out of a of a, a, a principle of low control, high accountability. If we believe in what we call subsidiarity, that's a fancy word for the fact that in organizations as much as possible, decisions that affect people should be made at that level. You know, so it, it's low control. And so we want you to have responsibility and authority for your, for your ministry. We're not gonna interfere, but only if there's a, a, a chain of accountability. And part of the accountability, the primary one we wanted to have was a conversation around health versus toxicity. So healthy culture versus toxic culture. And we had a meeting with the leadership of every single one of those 60, 70 ministries. And we trained them to do an exercise with their ministry teams around uh, what does it mean to be a healthy team? And this is an exercise we've, we've now used with all of our parishes and our coaching network. We coached pastors and teams to do it with their teams. I've done it with uh, the, the bishop's team at the diocese. And it's a great exercise. It's a lot of fun. Can I, do you like me to t- tell you about it? Yeah. Very, yeah. So you get you get everyone together in a room and you say, okay, everyone, we want to I want to do a little a little exercise. We want to think about what was a time when you the, the the best, you were part of an amazing team that accomplished incredible things. You love being a part of the team. What were some of the qualities or attributes of that team? And you've got a whiteboard and people just shout out things, you know, like teamwork, you know, laughter, you know, joy, um, uh, no silos. You know, you can fill up a, a whiteboard. Uh, with all the, the, all the things that describe healthy culture. And then you say, okay, I want you to think now about a team that was actually horrible to be a part of. It was, it was life-sucking, and it, it was like you hated going, you hated being a part of it. 
And usually that's, the answers come a lot easier. The, the, the whiteboard fills up very, very quickly and you get all of the, the, the things that contribute to, to, lack, to organizational toxicity. And then basically when that's done, you say, well, what team would you rather work for? Of course, everyone wants to work for the healthy team. And at that point, you stop and acknowledge. He said, you know, the truth is that while I too would choose this, I recognize myself as sometimes contributing to, to a toxic uh, thing. And I can have, we can all have bad days. And what I'm going to ask you is, can you help me to be healthy? If you see me exhibiting any of these attributes, will you, will you, will you, will you come and speak to me? And will you give me permission to do that for you? Will we give each other permission to, to affirm healthy behaviors and to lovingly call out unhealthy behaviors? And when, when you do this, it's very kind of freaky for people because it's like in many organizations, we just don't go there. We, don't, we might go talk about each other. We never talk to each other either affirming a positive life-giving behavior and, and, and identifying unhealthy behavior. So we did that and it gave us a, when healthy behavior came out, we were able to go back and say, remember that conversation? Remember when you agreed? So let's talk hmm. about this, this particular behavior. And over the course of two, three years, I honestly can say it's not that we, we reached a, you know, a level of perfection, but organizationally we became fairly healthy we became a kind of a staff team that if there was any you know someone was passive aggressive there was unhealthy stuff you'd be within 48 hours there'd be a, a crucial conversation mm -hmm. and it was just so remarkable to be part of a team like that and so uh, trying to see that cast you know bubble up uh, into all of our ministry teams um, it's an ongoing thing of, of yeah. course you've, you've got to stay on it but that's what we would that's what we kind of did to try to work on organizational health. Yeah, it's amazing, Father. You know, I will say, so you've verified so much, uh, again, in your own practice and your own advice, but uh, I, I, one, of my, one of, I think, the most powerful data points we have is that when we know that, that leadership, right? So when you think about uh, yourself, uh, the bishop, others who are at the diocese level, uh, the, there's, a, there's a cascade effect that if that group is engaged, then the priests, that they work with uh, are 39% more likely to be engaged themselves. So I love the I love the the relationship there that we can measure and identify. What's really interesting then is that their staff, the people that they lead, are 59% more likely to be engaged. So it doesn't continue to dilute and in an explainable way, um, but rather it's actually magnified through that that next connection point of of leadership. And I think um, the the advice and what you're telling us all just reconfirms that where it's uh, you, we've got to be right at that leadership level in order for everything else to be aligned and synchronized in the ways that we expect them uh, to be as a result. The other thing that I love too that you really shared is is then this this uh, this backdrop at the church level where there's this really positive productive tension between being and you mentioned this in your book Divine Renovations about uh, the church. Uh, over invests in the invitation, the, the welcoming aspect of it. But once you're inside and you've agreed to that invitation, falls short in terms of really sharpening and challenging and helping to feed that growth of maturation and that process of who that person is yeah. in their Catholic and Christian walk. And I think that, again, is so synonymous with every organization where uh, we are typically, at, by our measurements, are at our most engaged early on, right when we start with an organization and it declines for a little bit. And I always think about that. What happened, 
right? If we come in and we're just, we got a head full of steam, why does that honeymoon experience seem to um, seem to grab us and then be a trapdoor that we fall into? And I love the way you spoke through that message of sustainability in terms of um, this isn't an event, it's got a cycle to it and you have to reinvest and come back around through that leadership perspective to bring us on home. Um, so Jim, any any other concluding thoughts, any questions from the chat before no, we- actually at this land? time we are, it goes so fast. And yeah. so we kind of need to bring it in for a, a landing here, Mike. Thank, thank our guests. As we come yeah, in. absolutely. Father. Father James, um, I'll tell you, if, for the rest of you listening, if you uh, if you want to get more insight uh, in terms of what Father James has shared, uh, the book Divine Renovations um, is is terrific. Uh, it's, it's it's great thought leadership, but translates to application very decisively. I'd encourage you all to consider that as you think about your own groups and organizations you're working with. Uh, uh, Father also mentioned um, uh, living your strengths which is a faith-based uh, version of Finder and what the application and environment around Finder looks like in terms of serving within a faith community. And then growing an engaged church uh, has a lot of references to our data around what church engagement looks like, um, specifically in its translation and application to our series, Jim, that you and I are conducting around the Q12. So what do those core 12 items look like in a faith setting? Um, the ME25 that Father James referenced has an additional nine spiritual commitment items, and then four outcomes that are broadly representative of most, most faith organizations. So things for us to have at our disposal as we think about our own coaching and advice. Father James, thank you so much. It's always, uh, it's always to our benefit when we spend time with you, and I look forward to many more meaningful conversations. Thanks again. You're very welcome. All right, Jim. Uh, yeah, Megan in the chat room real quick. This is uh, appropriate. She'd said just a second ago, divine renovation. My neighbor across the street just came home from that conference. Oh, really? They're, they're fired up about it and asking about strengths. So, uh, so Jim, there are 10, Jim, there are 10,000 people globally who are either at present physically or virtually in some capacity. So a huge influence, a large yeah, footprint. That's creating. great that it would come full circle back to the webcast and uh, and beyond there. So making an impact as well. We'll remind everyone to take full advantages of all the resources we have available at the Gallup Strength Center. Just gallupstrengthcenter.com. Send us your questions or comments. Uh, if, you, if you've got those, uh, you can send them to us, coaching at gallup.com. You can also catch the recorded audio and video of this program as well as all the past ones. They're on our coach's blog. Just head out to coaching.gallup.com. Click on that resources tab. If you're interested in becoming a Gallup Certified Strengths Coach, you can see a list of all the courses that lead to that. They're available on our courses page, courses.gallup.com. You can fill out the contact form right there on the live page and someone will get right back to you. Don't forget to join our Facebook group if you're interested in doing that, facebook.com slash group slash called to coach. We'll get you there. Hopefully you found this helpful. If you did, share it. Just uh, send, that, send that along. Have others listen to it. Uh, we, we appreciate you listening to it. We'll look forward to the next call to coach. With that, we'll say goodbye, everybody.